I told him I was going to wear my Laker, my Laker ones today that my friend gave me this week. Um, I told him I would have worn the Clipper ones, but they don't exist. Um, and there's a reason for it. Um, you have to win some games to get some shoes named after you. Um, we're going to pray for the, the... How many are you are a Clipper fan? In the house, you are a Clipper fan? We're going to have a healing room for all you after this right here. Over the side, we're going to have a prayer room for you. How many of you are a Laker fan? Any Laker fans? How many people just don't care about sports at all? And there's other churches in the city for you guys. If you want to, come on, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, hey, man, it's an honor to be here. Um, I love uh, Pastor Julian and his wife, Christina. Just got to know them recently. Um, uh, met him through my dad. He's been doing my coach, my dad, and all that. Um, but we've been texting, DMing mainly about sports stuff and about Russell Westbrook. But um, I've grown to love them. Uh, you guys are absolutely blessed um, to have them as your pastors. Um, I hope you know that. Uh, they are absolutely amazing, amazing people. And a friend of mine who's at our church, he's in his late 70s. Uh, he's a church planner, church leader. He's, he's one, of our, one of our amazing leaders at the church. And uh, he said this to me about a year ago, and I've never forgot it. He said, I've learned this about God. Oftentimes, God treats churches how churches treat their pastors. And I think there's something special about how churches treat their pastors and about um, specifically their families. And so I know you guys do, but take care of them. I love them. They're the best. Um, it's been a great honor to be here uh, this morning, to be here all day. Um, I, I don't miss church very often. Uh, my wife and I, we started a church downtown Portland uh, five years ago. We just celebrated our five-year anniversary here a few months ago. And we, uh, yeah, thank you. We lead a, uh, a church called Rose Church, downtown Portland. About 2,000 people go to our church, and God has been incredibly faithful um, the last five years. And I've maybe missed seven, eight Sundays over the last five years. I don't miss church really ever. Um, but it's an honor to, to be here today, to be with you guys in this historic church and this castle of a building. I'll tell you what, um, I think like the Hunchback and Ultra Dog is going to show up somewhere in one of these buildings and start ringing the, the bells or something. This building's amazing. But um, I have a, a photo of my family. My wife is here. My best friend is here. We have no kids this weekend, so we're here kidless all weekend. It's been a good weekend. Um, but my wife is here. Babe, can you stand up? My best friend, my wife is here. My wife, Julia, is here with me this weekend. I got a photo of my kids. Uh, this is a photo of my family. Uh, those are my three kids. Uh, to the far left, that is an accident we had about 18 months ago. That was not on purpose whatsoever. Uh, his name is Rhodes Augustine. Uh, he's 18 months old. My son, he's the oldest. He's, he's almost 10. His name is Cruz Jackson. And then that's my daughter, Quinamira, who is the queen of the house. She runs everything about my life. Uh, look at her. She looks so nice there. Don't let her fool you. Um, hey, I have a word in my heart this morning that I can't wait to preach. If you have a Bible, uh, go with me to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. If you have a Bible, if not, it'll be on the screen for you. We'll follow along. Uh, I'm gonna just read one verse this morning out of Hebrews chapter two. We'll read one verse and then we'll, we'll join back up and read some other verses here in a little bit. But I just wanna read one verse this morning out of Hebrews chapter two and verse one. Hebrews chapter two, we're gonna read from the NLT version. Why don't you pick up two words here? Two words I wanna pick up. It says this, so we must listen very carefully to the truth we've heard or we may drift away from it. We must be very careful to listen to the truth we've been told, the truth that we've heard, uh, or we might drift away. This morning, I just wanna take those two words and speak from that topic, don't drift. Don't 
It's written. Let's pray as we jump into the book of Hebrews this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for every single person under the sign of my voice, God, specifically the Clipper fans. Would you bless them today, Lord? Would you help them in their broken heart and their broken spirit in this season? But we thank you for the Lakers, the Lakers win last night by 30 in the name of Jesus. We thank you for today. God, would you be here? Would you speak? God, we're not here just to play church. Mark some box off, some moral box that we did on a weekend. Father, we are here to see you more clearly, to be changed from the inside out. God, open our ears, open our eyes, open our heart to see and hear what you were doing in this room, but more specifically to us individually. God, let us leave this room different. We thank you for this amazing passage that we're gonna read today. In your mighty, mighty name I pray. And everyone said? Amen. Um, as I show you my picture of my kids, um, I remember when I was being around uh, 10 years old, my son's age, um, uh, I'm from Oregon. Uh, my wife is from upstate New York. Uh, I'm from Oregon, we met at college, and she wanted to go back to New York, and I said, absolutely not. And she, she, I told her I'd pray about it, never did. Um, and so we ended up living in Oregon, and now we pastor a church downtown Portland. I remember when I was like 10 or 11, I don't know if you've been to Oregon, or especially like outside the city, um, everyone goes camping. Uh, Oregonians are really, really into paying money to sleep outside for no reason. They get, we have trucks and campers and tents. Like Oregonians love going into the woods and going camping. And my, one of my family friends, when I was a little kid, they loved going camping. He's like, my, his, his name was Michael. His name is Michael. And he goes, hey, you wanna come camping with us? And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. He's like, oh, we're gonna go out in the woods. It's on this lake. We can swim and we're, you know, we'll have our own tent. It'll be fun, whatever. I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm like 10, 11 years old. So that day we go out in the lake and you know, everybody has their boats and jet skis and they're doing their thing. Well, we have none of that. We have floaties. Do you remember being like a little kid, like 10, 11 years old, blowing up these floaties, like almost like passing out and waking up and blowing the floaty and like your cheeks hurt so bad, right? So we finished blowing up these floaties and we're out there, we're, 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 there's, no, there's no drift is what we don't think. There's just a lake, it's just an open lake. We're just sitting there sleeping. And so we got in this little inner tubes and, and Michael falls asleep, passed out. And I'm like splashing water on him, trying to wake him up, he's gone. So I kind of fall asleep too. I wake up, I think like 20, 30 minutes later, Michael's gone. Nowhere to be found. I get off my floaty, I'm looking around, I'm swimming, can't find him anywhere. I, I, I go back to shore, I, I go back to our tent ground, and our, our camping ground, I'm like, hey, to his mom and dad, his brother and sister, so you ever seen Michael? I'm like, no, he's gone. Seven, eight hours later, he's been gone all day. Now the ranger's been called, people are going up and down the water, like, it's, it's bad now. He's been gone all day long. About seven, eight hours later, a guy on a jet ski comes pulling up, waving at our camp. I'm like, oh, does he want me to take on his jet ski? I'll, I'll go on his jet ski. He's like waving at us. He pulls up. Michael's on the back, hugging this guy on a jet ski with inner tube in one hand, holding this guy in the back. The guy on the jet ski pulls up, drops him off. I'm like, Michael, where did you go? He's like, bro, I fell asleep. I'm like, well, yeah, I know that. I was like, what happened? He's like, I floated and I drifted seven miles down the lake. As a 10, 11 year old, I drifted all the way down the lake and I woke up in a completely different campground, different site, didn't know where I was, and I convinced this guy on this jet ski to bring me back home. And I'm like, we didn't think there was any drift. We didn't think there was any movement in the water. It was so subtle. It was so nonchalant. But once he fell asleep, a drift we did not think existed took him seven miles down the river 
and he woke up in a place he never wanted to be. I wonder how many Christians have that experience. We enter into the waters of jobs, the waters of relationship, the waters of lives, the waters of cities, thinking there's no drift, there's no movement. We fall asleep in our faith and we wake up months or years later in a place and a position we never wanted to be in. Listen, I'm not a guest speaker. I'm not a traveling evangelist. I'm a local church pastor. I meet with people all the time. I'm not a preacher, I'm a pastor. I meet people all the time. And I've heard this phrase more times than I can count. Pastor, I didn't know how I got here. Or it's, when did I get here? You know what's interesting about drifting? I've never in my lifetime met somebody who drifted to where they wanted to go. <laughs> Ever. I've never met somebody that drifted into a good marriage. I've never met someone who's been married for 10, 15 years and woke up like, I don't know how we got here, but we have a great marriage. We have great communication. We have great finances. I've never met a business owner that floated into resource. I've never met a Christian who has floated into deeper faith, who has drifted into deeper relationship with Jesus. Have you noticed that all drifting will always take us to places we don't want to go? Drifting will never take you and you'll never wake up one day and be like, I'm so glad I drifted here. No, because we always drift. We float away, we wander away, and we wake up six, nine, three years later, and we go, when, when did I get here? How did I get here? And we wake up one day, and I bring up Hebrews chapter two and verse one. He says, be careful, brothers and sisters, that you do not forget the truth that we have heard unless you drift away. You know what I found out about Christians, what I found out about life, is if the devil can't get you to run away, he'll get you to drift away. I don't think anybody in this cathedral today woke up praying, Lord, I wanna run from you today. I've never had anyone that drifted their way of life. Like, you know, I, I wanted to run from the Lord. It's always the people that go, when did I get here? Because it's day by day. It starts like this. It's like, well, the, you know, I have three children. Well, we have games, we have sports, we're tired. We'll just miss Sunday. Well, it's been a busy week, work's been crazy. You know, one of the kids are all sick. We'll just miss another Sunday. Well, it's been, you know, work is wild. And I have this project due. I'm not gonna go. And then it's, well, I'm not, that girl I was talking to is not talking to him. I don't wanna see them together. So I'm gonna go, don't act like that doesn't happen in church. Before you know it, you're like, I haven't been in church in like four or five months. I, don't really need it. And before you know it, you went from playing the drums to deconstructing your entire faith and not believing in Jesus at all. And no one goes from playing the drums on one Sunday to deconstructing by Tuesday. It is a drift. It is a slow, steady decision day in and day out, week in, week out. Then what happens? As I've said, we wake up going, when did I drift here? And the author of Hebrews, which I believe is Paul, says, don't drift away. One thing you must learn about the Bible and about theology and about uh, studying the Bible is none of the Bible was written to you, but it was all written for you. If you are newer to Jesus, let me just help you out. One of the most unintelligent questions Christians can ask when they read the Bible is, what does this mean to me? 
That is not a question we should ask because the Bible was not written to you, but it was written for you. So the question we ask, Holy Spirit, whatever you meant to the book of Philippians is the same thing you mean to me. The Holy Spirit is not schizophrenic. He does not have multiple personality disorder because whatever the Holy Spirit meant to the book of Romans, he means to you. We do not ask questions as such, like what does this mean to me today? Bad question. It's Holy Spirit, what were you saying to the book of Colossians? Because Holy Spirit, whatever you're saying to the book of Colossians is the same thing you're saying to me. Because you are consistent in your word. You are consistent in your revelation. So the question that we should ask is, why would Paul or the author of Hebrews say, don't drift? Now, I did this over six weeks with our church, and we're gonna do it in 27 minutes. It's gonna be a miracle of God. I wanna give you the three reasons, and we're gonna go through chapters one through eight real quick on the three things that the author says, do not drift. And these are the three things that will get you to drift. Be weary, be aware of these three things because they will get you to drift away. Number one, let's, let's dive into this. Number one, the first thing that will get you and I to drift away is believing that there are better ways God speaks outside of Jesus. One of the ways that will get us to drift away is believing there are better ways God speaks outside of Jesus. Look at Hebrews chapter one. Long ago, God spoke in many different ways and many different times to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through the son. God promised everything to the son as his inheritance. And though the son created, that he created the universe, the son radiates God's own glory. And he expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor, the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name of God gave him is greater than their names. First thing he says is, I just want you to know, Jesus is better than angels. Now, you and I can read that and be like, cool. I don't really care about angels. What, what does that mean to me? Once again, this was not written to you, it was written to them. So why are they being warned? Don't love angels more than Jesus. Why? Because angels in the Old Testament and the New Testament, angels were the what? The messengers of God. Angels were the one that dropped off the words of God. Gabriel's the one that talked to Mary. Gabriel's the one that talked to Elijah. Gabriel, all the Old Testament, when the angel would come and minister to people, Angel would drop off words to Moses. Angel would give dreams. These angels throughout Old and New Testament were seen as the messengers of God or the ones that would drop off the word or the way that God wants to speak to his people. So the author goes, hey, the angels and the prophets did their job. They dropped off the message. They were great messengers. But I just wanna remind you, Jesus is a better way. Jesus is the ultimate way that God has spoken. Don't look to angels. Now, what does that translate to maybe for you and I? Listen, I'm in LA. I live in downtown Portland. We don't, we have just extracted the word angel and put in a whole myriad of other things, such as crystals, such as Ouija boards, 
such as astrology, such as the Enneagram, Christian's horoscope, such as fill in the blank. And what have we done? Well, Jesus is awesome, but there's other ways I believe the earth is speaking to me. Have you looked at the stars or the hills? Have you read this book? Have you listened to this podcast? Have you, have you, you know, Jesus is great. Prophecy is awesome. But have you ever got your palm read? Have you ever considered that the universe is calling out? Have you ever considered about the soul that we live and how you are and the trees and life? Listen, we don't use the word angels. We have a whole litany of other things we put in there, but we still are prone to the same thing they're prone to is that there's other ways God speaks outside of Jesus. If you are considering and you are pondering outside voices other than Jesus, beware, you have started to drift away. Because when we start looking for other voices outside of the final voice, you are on your way drifting. Well, what about this book? What about this podcast? What about this tree? What about this? What about that? What about Muhammad? What about Gandhi? What about this author? What about, we know more about the Enneagram than we do the book of Proverbs. We know more about astrology than we know about creation. We have given our focus, we have given our ear, we have given our attention to so many other voices. Why? Because we think Jesus is a voice, not the voice. And he writes in Hebrews 1, I just want to remind you. He says this, I'll read it, or tell you what it means in Hebrew and in Greek. He says, he is the perfect character of God. You know that sentence in the Greek means? It's the exact wording is when a king would take his ring and would dip it in wax and in fire and press his, his signet ring on a piece of paper. And they could pick up the piece of paper and go, what this image is, is the exact character of that ring. And he borrows that sense in Greek and goes, Jesus is the imprint. Jesus is the character. Jesus is the exact image of the ring. In other words, Jesus is God. That's why John 1.1 is the most important five verses you can memorize. For the word was God. The word was with God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the ultimate. He is the final. He is the best. He is the greatest. He is the ultimate way that God has or will spoken. Prophets are great, but Jesus is better. Angels are great, but Jesus is better. He is the ultimate. He is the final imprint or character of God. And if the author is saying, guys, if you start looking back to angels, you start looking to other voices, it will get you to drift. How much more in 2023 in downtown LA are we looking for voices, for direction? And friend, let me just tell you this. The voice of God will never disagree with the word of God. So if you hear God speaking to you to make a decision and the Bible explicitly disagrees with your decision. That was not the voice of God. That was hot Cheetos, pizza, and Taco Bell. That was whatever you had for dinner. That was your lack of sleep. That was your lack of whatever it might be. That was not the voice of God. Because the voice of God only walks in relationship with the word of God. So what do you mean by the voice of God? I mean the Bible. Just to be really clear. So how does God speak? Through prayer, that's great. Through prophecy, that's great. But the ultimate way God speaks is how he has spoken. And I find it fascinating how many, people, how many Christians believe God's mouth is closed while their word remains closed, and they're confused about that. Well, God isn't speaking to me. I don't hear God's voice. Have you opened his word lately? Well, no. 
why would you think God's voice would be loud when his word is shut? The number one way God wants to speak to you is the way he's already spoken. And it's called the Bible. And one of the ways we must be weary of is having the lure for other voices drift us away. Do you guys remember um, the Christmas story in Matthew chapter one? That the magi or astrologers look at a star and the Bible says the star leads them to Jesus? You know what's fascinating about LA and Portland and these cities we live in? Is the cities we live in are okay if you are spiritual as long as you don't become Christian. We are obsessed with spirituality. I'm just spiritual right now. I'm just not really a church person, I'm a spiritual person. We're, the cities we live in are okay if you remain spiritual, as long as your spirituality doesn't become Christianity. We're okay if you are following a star on a journey, as long as that star doesn't stop on Jesus. What's fascinating about the astrologers is they are into astrology, they are magi, and God goes, oh, you look to stars? I will hijack that star and lead you to me. See, God does not mind if you're looking to other things, you're finding other things. God will hijack many things. I have a lot of friends that have found Jesus in some wild ways. <laughs> ways I will not say from this stage. But Jesus will find any way necessary to hijack the thing that you're obsessed with. Use it to bring it to himself. The problem is, is after you find Jesus, if you keep going back to the star, the star's job was to lead you to Jesus and to stay there. The number one way that we begin to drift is when we start looking for other voices. Number two, we're doing okay so far. Okay, eight of you. All right, we'll get the rest of you. Okay, number two ways that gets us to drift, number two, is having hard hearts. Hard hearts. Look at Hebrews chapter three. All of Hebrews one, all of Hebrews two is about angels. He picks up another theme in Hebrews three. Let's read it together. And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. For he was faithful to God who appointed him just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses. Just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house, and we are God's house, if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. Look what he says, then he quotes the Old Testament. This is why the Holy Spirit says this. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them and I said, their hearts always turn away from me and they refuse to do what I tell them. So in anger, I took an oath. They will, never, they will never enter my rest. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. Be careful then. Another be careful. Dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts don't get hard. 
Number one, what will drift us away, what will lead us away from Jesus is looking for other voices. Number two is allowing your heart to become hard. Now, I don't think anyone in this room, balcony or floor, would like to admit they have a hard heart toward God. And what we can tend to do right now is like, come on, pastor, I'm a hard heart, I'm in church. Oh, you and me both know. It is greatly possible to sit in church every single Sunday, be physically here, but not spiritually here at all. Friend, I'm a PK. I was raised in church, and I'm in a real PK. I mean, Wednesday night youth, I mean, Thursday night prayer, I mean, Friday night Bible study, Saturday morning prayer, Sunday church, elders at the house Sunday night, do it again Monday. If I don't get it, if I don't get into heaven based off my church attendance, none of us are getting in. I'll just tell you that right now. I've been in more retreats, advances, prayer rooms, like I am a born and raised PK. I know what it is to be in church all my life and not even be there. Women, you know this for fact. When your husband's talking to you, you're like, Where, hello, where are you at? He's like, I'm right here. Like, you're not here. There's a difference of being here and being here. So don't, let, let's not play the game this morning while I'm in church, aren't I? Friend, me and you both know you can physically be here right now and not be here at all. We've all known friends that have followed Jesus for years, decades at time, and then wander later in life, and they were in church their whole life. And now they're in their thirds and fours, not following Jesus at all. And look what he says. Once again, he says, if Israel could get a hard heart with Moses, you can get a hard heart with Jesus. Now, let me say two things about this Moses passage. Number one, he's saying Jesus is better than Moses. Once again, for you and I, that's like, cool, whatever. Not to a Jew. If you have any Jewish friends that are still practicing Judaism, or if you understand Jewish literature and Jewish culture, Moses was it. He wrote the first five books of the Bible called the Torah. He was the one that led them out of Egypt, right? Great movie, Prince of Egypt. If you haven't seen it, watch it. He's the man that got the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Moses is the man. And they're like, well, we kind of want to go back to Moses. Go back to the law. And he's like, no, you must understand, Jesus is better than Moses. Let me say one thing really, really quick. One way that would get you to drift very, very quickly is when you take leaders and pastors who are supposed to have roles in your life and you let them have thrones in your life. Listen to me. One way of your quickly deconstructing journey is you let people like me or Pastor Julian or Christina or anybody else not just have a role in your life, they start taking thrones in your life. That is when drifting is soon nearby, when we elevate our pastors and our leaders and our mentors just as high as we do Jesus. Drifting is nearby. And then he says, I just wanna remind you the Bible's awesome. You should read it more often. He goes, um, do you remember my people, Israel? He goes, they saw my miracles for 40 years. Can we just pause right there? Do we need to rewind to the Old Testament and read the miracles they saw every day? We're talking about Chick-fil-A from heaven every morning. They wake up outside their tent, Chick-fil-A on the ground right there every morning, 40 years. We're talking about the Bible says their shoes never grew too small and they grew every week or every month with their foot. They never needed new shoes. We're talking about water out of rocks. 
We're talking about honey out of trees. We're talking about oceans splitting, walking through. We're talking about armies falling to the wayside because they thought they heard chariots and they killed themselves. I mean, go through the miracles they saw for 40 years. I'm sorry, friend. If I saw one of those, I'm like, Jesus, I'm in. If I saw one ocean split in half, I'm like, you got me, I'm in. They saw hey, the longest list we could ever pray for for 40 years. And they still had a hard heart. You know the key to having a hard heart is telling Jesus, I just need to see a little more. Do you know how we get to hard heart in this? I see a little more, Jesus. What about last week? I need a little more. What about two years ago? I need to see something today. What about last season? I need something tomorrow. You know, uh, uh, the key to letting your heart grow hard is keep saying, I see a little more. I see a little more. I see, see a bit more. I see, uh, Jesus, I'll follow you. I just need to, I'll believe if I see. He goes, they saw everything for 40 years and still had a hard heart. How much more do you need to see? The answer is none. Because if what you've seen already doesn't equate to faith, what you'll see tomorrow won't either. That's the reality. He says, um, verse 12, he goes, be careful then that your hearts don't go hard either. My mom and dad, um, they lived down the hill from us. And I went by their house here a few months ago and their whole first floor was torn up. I mean, baseboards, floors, furniture, whole first floor torn up. I was like, mom, what happened? And she's like, there was a leak somewhere in the house. The entire first floor rotted out. I have to redo the whole first floor. About two weeks later, we found out where it came from. You guys all know in the back of your fridge, there's that little hose. There was a hole about that big that had been leaking for some two years, just spraying. And two years later, it destroyed their entire first floor by a leak that big. Friend, your heart is the same. If you aren't careful, you will have the smallest leaks. That one day is no big deal. One week doesn't even do nothing. A month's nothing. But sometime, year in and year out, two, three, five years down the road, your entire life has fallen out and rotted out. Not because you ran away, it's because you drifted away and you did not watch the leaks in your heart. You know what's hard? I didn't say this last service, but I will this one. Some of you are like, come on, man, I've been following Jesus for a long time. I would never drift away. You know what one aspect of drifting is not leaving, it's stopping. We think, ultimately, this is drifting. I'm gonna walk away. For deeper Christians, this is drifting. I didn't quit, I stopped. I ain't going any farther. And you haven't told yourself yet that you're drifting because you think drifting is only going back to where you came from. 
Friend, that's not the only form of drifting. A form of drifting is also quitting moving forward. Well, if I don't see it, I'm not taking one more step. How's your heart right now? LA is obsessed with mindsets. <laughs> Wake up and do your mindsets. <laughs> Write your mindsets and put it on your mirror. Have your mindsets at the forefront of your mind. You want success? Have a mindset. You want to double your growth illegally? Have a mindset. <laughs> you want ever? You want to give? Have a Cool, I'm all in for mindsets. Let me ask you this morning though, where's your heart set right now? We're obsessed with mindsets and I'm in. Thoughts are important, read the Bible. Your thought life is important. I'm not saying it's not all I'm saying is we can, we can dream about mindsets all we want. Where's your heart set right now? What are you mad at God at right now for? What have you told God, if you don't do it, I'm out? What have you told God, if I don't see it, I'm not taking one more step? Where are you at right now? Because if you're not careful, you will have a tiny little leak in your heart that will just give way, give way. And you'll be just like my friend Michael and you wake up seven miles down the road and wake up one day going, when did I hate church? When did I start telling people Jesus ain't it? When did I? You drifted away. And if it's possible for Israel to drift, oh, how much more do we need to guard our heart? Friend, your heart is like a shark. You know that sharks can't swim backwards? They can only swim forward. Your heart is not neutral. Your heart is either moving forward or backward. It's not staying the same. You don't set your heart today and then wake up at 70 loving Jesus. You set your heart today and then do it again tomorrow morning. And then do it again Tuesday morning. And then do it again Wednesday morning. You, the allegiance, and I use that word very specifically, the allegiance of your heart is a day-to-day -day battle. Is it not just me that I can set my heart and have an allegiance for like five days in a row and then just let it just wander a bit? Where, where is your heart right now with you and Jesus? Not you in church. Not you and fill in the blank. Where's your heart posture? Are you leaning in? Are you leading out? You know what's scarier than a dead heart? A hard heart. Because a hard heart is one that used to be beating that is now protected by a fortress. And you use words like this, I will never trust someone again. I will never do that again. I will never let anyone in like that again. I will never trust God like that again. You are, you know what's funny about Christians is our wording gives language to a heart that can't speak. You say it all the time. You just aren't catching it. You have a hard heart toward God. And if you're not careful, 
hard-heartedness will get you to drift away. Got real quiet in here. And this is, by the way, not the time to nudge your spouse. You put you listen around, you hard hearted here. <laughs> this is for you, sir. I'm gonna spend a little longer on this. Have you ever considered that Jesus cares more about your heart than your hand? Well, I'm doing all the right things, but your heart's on it, he's not interested. We have made Christianity into hand action, not heart action. Well, I'm doing everything. My hand's active. I'm serving, I'm giving at church, but your heart's not in it. And we think we're fooling God by our religious activity. And it sounds even like this. Well, I'm worshiping. He's like, I ain't hear nothing. I lifted my hands though. I didn't hear one word today. I can play that game pretty well. I can lift my hands, even close my eyes. Lord, my heart's not even near it. And other people are like, look at Andrew go. And Jesus is like, you're not even here right now. Because humans are lip readers. Jesus is a heart reader. We can sing the words. We can give in the offering. We can invite our neighbor to church and still our heart be seven oceans away. And we think Jesus is like, well, at least they're at church. He's interested in your heart. He's interested in what's going on in the core of you. And as Proverbs 4, 23 says, guard your heart above all else, for out of it flows the issues of life. The third thing that will get us in trouble, it's so subtle. It's that physical is better than spiritual. It's super interesting when you read the rest of the book of Hebrews. So we just went through chapter four. Chapter four to chapter eight, it's his argument that Jesus is better than the priesthood and that Jesus is better than the temple. What weird arguments about temples, about priesthoods? Now once again, if you're raised Jewish, you know where I'm going. The temple was everything. The temple is where God was. That's where the Holy of Holies, outer court, inner court, sacrifices. That's where the priesthood lived. That's where you met with God. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. Priesthood are the ones that you would meet with to meet with God, because God was too holy for you to be near. You couldn't talk to him yourself. You couldn't address him yourself. You'd have to go through a priest. They would go to God for you. What are those two things a representation of? I wish I had two hours to get through this, but they're the physical, tangible, I can touch it, interactions with God. If you remember church history, what happens in the year 70 AD? The Roman Empire destroys the known world. Jerusalem is destroyed. Every temple, every gathering, they're all gone. And the Hebrews in this book are telling their pastor, what do we do now? We left Judaism. We're now following this guy, Jesus, who's gone, by the way. And now our temples are gone. 
and the priesthood's gone. What do we do? And he, for four chapters, goes, Jesus is better than the temple. And he is better than the priesthood. What is he literally saying? Don't allow the lie that physical is better than spiritual. That if I can't hold it, I can't touch it, I can't be in there. Because now, if you read the rest of the New Testament, we are the temple, and Jesus is our high priest. So they're freaking out. I can't touch my high priest. I can't see my high priest. I can't talk to him. He's gone. And Paul, or the author of Hebrews, is going, Jesus is so much better than that priesthood. Why? Three reasons, really quick. Why is Jesus better than that priesthood? Number one is because this priest lives forever. If you don't know, the Jews would freak out once they got close to their priest, they got on their good side because they knew this priest is gonna die. And now that I've been close with this priest and he knows everything about me, he's been praying for me and offering sacrifices for me and he knows my life and my marriage and my kids, this priest is gonna die. And then once that priest died, now they'd have to be, become friends with the new priest. And the author's like, this priest doesn't die. This priest lives forever. This priest is eternal. You don't have to get used to another priest. He's our priest forever. Number two, this priest can be touched. If you don't know, in ancient antiquity, Jews or anyone, Samaritans, anyone, you could never touch a priest, ever, because they were so holy. They were so good. They were so perfect. And we were so evil, so bad, so dirty. If you ever touched a priest, they would have to go through days and weeks of cleansing to get your filthiness off of them. And if you want to, if you, some of you more spiritual Christians, go do a study on how many times the word touched is used with Jesus' name in it. Women touched him, men touched him, children touched them, Samaritans touched him, Jews touched them, children. Go through the, how many times he was touched. That is not in there for no reason. It's not in there for a random happenstance. It's a statement. This priest can be touched. This priest can, you can get near him. This priest can handle your life, your dirtiness, your mistakes. And this priest is so holy. When you touch him, your filthiness does not overtake his holiness. His holiness overtakes your filthiness, this priest, oh, he's so much better. He lives forever and he can be touched. Hebrews 4, 15 says, he can be touched with the infirmities of our weakness. Third and final, the Bible says, we read it in Hebrews 1, he says it again in Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. He has sat down. What does that detail matter? What is sitting down a statement of? I have finished what I wanted to do. The priests would go into the Holy of Holies, they'd make their sacrifice, eat the bread, drink the wine, do the candles, do the whole thing, make the thing, and they'd walk on out because they weren't done. They have to keep coming back. They have to keep coming back because their job wasn't done. This priest, our priest, the spiritual is better than the physical. This priest not only has walked in, he's there forever. He's there forever. He can be touched. The Bible says he not only walked into the Holy of Holies, he sat down and is now right now at the right hand of the Father, seated in heavenly realms. Why? Because he finished his job. And he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. You own the things that will get you to drift is thinking physical, temporal, 
ways are better than spiritual ways. Oh, Jesus is so much better than the priesthood. Jesus is so much better than the temple. Though he's invisible right now, we have a man on the inside that is seating, is sitting right by the Father. He sat down, making intercession for you and I. That's why we live by faith and not by sight. I know you guys are in a series right now and I'm done, I'm done. The band can kick me off. About made for this, about faith and life and building and growing. Friend, we can preach about it all we want, but if we're not careful, we will sit here for six, eight, 10 weeks and receive all the faith messages and then drift ourselves away. And wake up in a year or two from now not knowing where we got, how we got here. Because every single one of us are prone drifting away. Don't let other voices drift you away. Don't let hard-heartedness drift you away. And don't let the lure to physical draw you away from the deep, spiritual, invisible realm that we all live and operate in because Jesus is the perfect high priest who was sat down and if those three things could get the Hebrews to drift, how much more? We need to be aware that we are swimming in a current that is trying everything they can to get you away from Jesus. If you stand to your feet, I wanna pray for you. If you be so bold, I don't know why you're lifting your hand. I don't know what state you're in. But if you'd be so bold and so honest, if you say, man, I feel myself drifting. I've sensed it over weeks and months and I, I, I feel myself drifting away. And I know it in my heart, in my mind, my love for Jesus, my allegiance to Jesus. I'm, I feel myself leaking away. Would you just lift your hand just so I know who I'm praying for if you'd be so bold? I feel myself drifting. I know it, I know it, I know it. I'm drifting, I'm drifting, I'm drifting. I don't pray very much. I don't read very much. I'm rarely in church. I miss community. I skip uh, connect groups. I skip prayer nights. I, I, I'm, I'm drifting and I know it. Holy Spirit of living God, I pray right now for you to come minister and talk to every single hand, every single person, every marriage that is daring to say, I, I'm drifting. Father, we might not be running away today, but we could be drifting away. Holy Spirit, I pray that you come up on the inside of every single person with their hand up and draw them back home. Pull them back home. We don't wanna drift another day. We don't wanna drift another moment. There is too much at stake. It costs too much to drift. Gotta pray right now for every heart that is hard towards you right now. I pray for the hammer of the word, the hammer of your spirit to come break away. God, I pray for your rain, that is your spirit, the water of God that will come and soften every hard heart, every distant heart that is drifting away. God, we don't wanna drift today. Pull us back in, pull us back in. In your mighty, mighty name I pray. And everyone say Amen.